Slovenly trolls, slovenly trolls, we're big, bad, evil girls. Hello, and welcome to the Slovenly Trolls podcast. I am not your host, Lissa. And I am your host, Charday. Because this is the Charday episode where we do <laughs> drow that I am forced to do because I am part of this podcast, but you know what? Let's just... Our listeners voted for this episode and you consented to it, so I don't want to hear anything about it. Then I will not say anything. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have some shout outs and updates for you to start off with. We have a shout out to Kim Winson, who is our first patron on Patreon. Hello, Kim. Woo! Hi, Kim. And we have actually started recording our Patreon content and have done an episode on the origins of the slovenly trolls. So if that's something that interests you, you can go on to Patreon and sign up for, I think it's $3 a month for content. Yeah, $3. Yeah, $3 tier gets you access to all our bonus content. But if you don't have $3, you can also give us $1 just to say like, hey, we like you, but we don't need any more extra content, which is also fair because I like snacks. From the dollar store. So that will buy me snacks. That will feed us. Yes. That will feed us. And that is at uh, patreon.com forward slash can't be killed creations. We also have some content on the Patreon that was cut from our episode seven. So our previous episode, which included something about Gene Wells. Yeah, uh, I cut some content. We we went on a really long time about Gene Wells, who we love. We stand Gene Wells from the OGTSR days, but we kind of rambled a bit, and I cut it for time. And then I thought, well, what better place to put it than the Patreon? So that's where I put it. We also have a shout out to the One Night podcast on the Twitter, the Twitter, the Slovenly Charles Twitter, where... Uh, they made us a meme. Hello, a meme. <gasps> we have our first meme. Ah, my dream. We were very excited about. So thank you to the One Night Podcast. Also on Twitter, I made good on my promise. We got a review on Apple Podcasts after last episode. So I wrote a poem and iambic pantameter to Brian. So Brian, if you want to hear a poem or read a poem in iambic pantameter, we, I'm not going to read it on here go to our twitter because it's a subtle twitter plug and by subtle i mean not subtle at all please follow us on twitter okay thanks (laughs) so on this episode we will be talking about drow as i said before this will actually be a two-part episode because we have so much content for you i am not even kidding she's a big girl it's a lot it's a lot big girl Mm -hmm. big girl On this episode specifically, we'll be defining what a drow is, for those of you who are unfamiliar with what drow are. We'll be talking about the origins of drow, and we'll be talking about the matriarchy, both in the context of our world, so in real life, and in the world of the drow. We'll do some slovenly analysis of what we found for our listeners, and we will share our very strong opinions because, you know, we always have opinions, so. That's the content you're here for. I mean. Analysis and opinions. Yeah. I mean, why else would, would you be here? 
Yeah. <laughs> Not our sparkling personalities. No, I, we already said last time that we have, we were what, brain dead? Brain dead sparkling personalities? Something like that? Brain, we are brain dead par- sparkling personalities. And when we're, whenever we do merch, we will have that on t-shirts and glitter font. Yes. <laughs> As a disclaimer, we will not touch on the issue of race. Evil races are problematic in general. We realize this and we will briefly be talking about the racial connotations in the existence of drow. Uh, Instead of going in-depth, we will direct you to other POC and marginalized creators. I think Shardy has some for you. Yes. So there are some creators out there who are already talking about the issue of drow and race, one of which that I can very heavily endorse, Three Black Halflings podcast. They are amazing. If you haven't heard of them already, they are much more popular than we are. And I just started listening to them. I haven't listened to their episode on Drow yet purposefully because I didn't want to accidentally inject their opinions into our episode, but I'm very excited to listen to it after we are done with our Drow deep dive. So please, please, please give them a listen. And if you have any other suggestions for other Black or POC creators who also talk about, talk about, taco, talk about (laughs) the issue of race, especially with drow, please hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, email us. We will be happy to add their names to the list that we'll put in our sources. So we also have another disclaimer about gender. We are going to be using terminology from the source books where the writers and creators of the drow use gender on just a binary spectrum. So men, women, male, female. So whenever you hear us referring to that it's because that's how it was written but we at the Slavon neutrals understand and recognize that gender is a spectrum unfortunately around the time that these books were written it was from like the late 70s to all the way in the early 2000s and unfortunately the conversations about representing gender in writing aren't as prevalent as today we also have a couple content warnings for those of you who want to skip some of our content. We will be discussing issues of violence, pornographic content, sexual abuse, child abuse, death or dying, cannibalism, ableism, classism, and other really fucked up shit. It's totally cool if you want to skip this episode. Like, totally understand. It's some heavy stuff. So, without further ado... What the fuck is a drow? So, part one, what is a drow? Slash, here's a basic introduction for our newbies who don't know what drow are. To start us off, Lissa, what was, what did you know about drow before we started this deep dive on drow? Honestly, not too much. I don't think... I don't think I knew that much about Drow. I think everything I knew about Drow was just in vague context from talking to you and you going off on how problematic they are in so many ways. And and then we did this episode and I just found out, oh, how many ways are they problematic? And it's all great. And I, so I, I knew about the community episode where... You know, it becomes an issue, and then they didn't put that on streaming services, but I didn't realize that was a drow. 
Because I think oh. that's a drow. That was a drow issue, right? You, explain what you mean by um, community. So the TV show community, um, they have, I think they have a couple episodes on Dungeons and Dragons, yeah? Mm-hmm. And there was one character who was trying to portray themselves as oh, yeah. being a drow, and they essentially yeah. painted themselves black. And it was a blackface issue, but that's about... I didn't realize that was a drow thing. I just... I I knew it was a thing. I didn't know realize it was a drow thing, and then when we looked into the whole drow thing... And this episode, mm-hmm. I, it, it all just kind of opened up a new world of problematic things. Yeah. Oh, my God. I completely forgot they did that. But, yeah, if you, like, search Dark Elf or Drow, like, on an image search or even on a GIF search, I think the image of Chang, who is the character who did blackface, mm-hmm. <laughs> comes up. And I think they handled it pretty well. I don't remember when they pulled it or if they pulled it still. But I think maybe around the time the Black Lives Matter movement started to pick up speed, they did just out of respect. But yeah, I'm I didn't know too much about Drow. Like I knew that they were dark elves. I knew that they lived underground in the Underdark. And then vaguely at some point I realized that they were a matriarchy. I don't remember how I knew that. I don't remember. I know it was before the podcast, but maybe it just came up in conversation one day or when I was prepping for a session that I was DMing and like maybe drow was a um, potential enemy that you would run into because drow were first introduced in D&D, which we'll talk about later as like an enemy, not as a player character race. And that's really all I knew. I knew that they were dark skinned, white haired elves. They're elves. They're dark elves. And that's about, that's about it. And then the more I looked into it, yeah, when, as soon as you start looking into drow from any other context of just, oh, yeah, a drow, and I know what that is, when you Google it, you realize, like, it, ha- it has pr- a really problematic history on multiple levels, and that's what we're going to talk about today. On so many levels. <laughs> on so many levels. This little section is for our listeners who aren't familiar with drow, their appearance, kind of what their connotations are in the D&D multiverse and what their reputations are in the D&D multiverse. All of this information, as a, another disclaimer, which apparently we have a lot, of the, a lot of disclaimers in this episode, all the information that we are taking from like their appearance and their society, like all the facts are from the D&D multiverse, primarily the Forgotten Realms. That's where all this is coming from. That's kind of where they, not where they originated from, but where they were fully fleshed out into the society and the race that we know them as today, the player race that we know them as today. So to start us out, I'm going to paint a picture for everybody of the appearance of a drow. Close your eyes and picture it. Yeah, picture it. Put on some soothing music or maybe some like epic music Gregorian chant would fit too like anything that you fancy picture a woman with skin that resembles polished obsidian pale white hair and eyes red eyes that could be mistaken for either the sparkle of a ruby or the murkiness of freshly spilled blood She is sneaking through the darkened halls 
of some underground tunnel system, stalking her prey. Picture that in your mind's eye. For our Drow newbie listeners, and maybe also veterans, maybe some of this information is new to you too, who knows, I don't know your life, a very brief basic background information on the Drow. They are descended from Dark Elves. There are many different origin stories as to how this happened, but from what I understand in my deep dive, Dark Elves existed before the Drow existed. So Dark Elves are actually elves that have what we in our cultures would define black skin. So more of a like a brownish undertone skin and not just like pure obsidian skin. And they actually lived above ground. And then there are many iterations of the story that we won't get into. But at some point, they were either cursed or electively undertook this transformation where their skin became even darker. Their hair changed to just all of these different shades of pale. And they went into the Underdark, which, for those of you who don't know, is exactly what it sounds like. I don't how how would an outsider describe what the Underdark is? It's just a series of tunnels underground where a bunch of sketchy stuff happens. It's the bad guy lair, TM. Yeah, bad guy lair, TM. Drow are also known as deep elves and night elves, so you might have heard of them that way. They're also known as the accursed. So that's kind of the vibe we're going for here. Because of their primary residents in the Underdark. They are secluded from society, and they are seen as evil by most of civilized society, both rightfully and unrightfully, which we will get into later in the podcast. Most drow worship Loth, the Spider Queen. Remember that name. She is important. We won't get too much into Loth in this episode. That's more for part two. But all you got to know about her is a majority of the drow, at least in the Underdark, worship her, and she is an evil deity. Racial features that aren't their appearance, so stuff that their race can innately do, because in D&D, racial features, while also having problematic connotations, are just a mechanic of the game. So if you chose to play a drow or chose a drow as an enemy for your players to fight, They have heat and light sensitivities because of being underground. Early iterations of drow had infravision, which I don't think they have anymore. And I think that's a damn shame because how fucking cool is that? That's so cool. (laughs) Just picture like, did you watch any like ghost shows? I'm obsessed with ghost shows, even though they're probably all fake. Have you seen like ghost shows, Lissa? Like with those infrared cameras? I know know what you're talking about. I haven't seen that many, but. When you say infrared, I I know what that means. Yeah, yeah. It's like those really cool rainbow cameras that they have that like yeah, that goes, sense different eee. heat signatures. Well, I mean, yeah. that's, that's the that's the, the the noise thing that they do to find ghosts, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, about. I don't think it's I think that's a different one. I think that's an EKG reader. <laughs> what I mean is like the really colorful it's camera. Same thing. Same thing. They are not the same thing, but okay. <laughs> You clearly need to watch more ghost shows. God, educate yourself. Just, just add it to the list, you know, of things I need to watch. <laughs> it's true. Things I personally need to make you watch. Drow also have innate magical abilities, which a lot of D&D races have. Most 
include not including like humans because humans don't have anything special. Uh, <laughs> they live, they have the typical elven lifespan. They live anywhere from 800 to 1,000 years, depending on different factors. They usually die off early, though, because um, draft society is very violent, <laughs> which is another thing that we will talk about later. And in basically all editions of D&D, races have, quote, suggested alignments, which, again, I have problems with in general. But for those of you who are interested, most of the suggested alignments for Drow, at least in the early iterations, I think it's changed at least since, like, fourth and fifth edition. They lean towards lawful evil, which it's, yeah, it's a problem in itself. <laughs> It's just, I don't even know if we need to talk about, like, how much of a problem that is. I think you just you just know that that's a problem if a whole race is evil. I, I don't want to explain to people why that's a problem. If you want to hear me rant about it or hear us rant about it, great. But also, we're probably not the ones who should be ranting about race issues. So, thanks. The last thing I'll say about Drow in this introduction and the primary reason for why we're doing a two-part special on Drow is that they are the most notable D&D matriarchy. For the longest time, I thought they were the only matriarchy. And that's partially true. So they are the only, like, I don't want to say sentient race, but they're the only, like, advanced race in D&D that has a matriarchy, at least that I could find. Please fact check us, correct us if I'm wrong. But even if I'm wrong on that, they are the most notable D&D matriarchy. If you think of matriarchies in D&D and you have any basic understanding of the lore, you know that drows have a matriarchy. There are other matriarchal races who use the term matriarchy a bit differently, which Lissa will get into in a hot mm -hmm. second when we start talking about matriarchies later on but they use a more broader term of matriarchy so like woman leadership or when women are like more powerful than men or have larger bodies or do more damage or something these races there are a lot of them i found a list i think on a forum somewhere that i'll list but the ones that i thought to mention because our listeners might be more familiar with them are beholders which is so interesting. That's so interesting to me. Knolls, hags. I, I, I stand a hag matriarchy. <laughs> Let me just put that in there. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I mean, honestly, yeah, so amazing. There are a bunch more, but those are the ones that I thought to bring up. Do, do you notice a theme? Well, hmm. Is it the fact that they're all women or they're all monsters and evil? That, yeah, <laughs> that's more of what I was going for. Which yeah. one do you want me to pay? <laughs> all of the, the quote matriarchies, however you want to define it, they're all monster races. How about that? Weird. Mm. How strange. Wow. Hmm. I think we've mentioned this before when we were talking about the art of D&D, like one of our earlier episodes about how mm -hmm. fucked up that the pictures looked of like women monsters. Oh, yeah. And how how much we found and how much we need to do an episode about that in the future. So oh, if you want to yeah. hear that. There please let us is know. Lissa. Lissa really wants to do 
<laughs> a, a future monster monster women episode because that's a book that I bought that I had very excited reactions about. So uh, stay tuned for more on that. Think of the monster episode as Lissa's drow episode. So how I feel about drow and elves is how Lissa feels about doing an episode all about monster women. Yes. <laughs> because we could go off and she particularly could go off. And who doesn't want to hear her go off about something? Weirdos. That's who. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's just a basic introduction of what drow are for our audience. So hope you enjoyed. I think that's probably the shortest part of our podcast that we've ever recorded, which is amazing. <laughs> Go us. Go us. We're getting so good at this. Our next part, part two, is going to be all about <gasps> the origins of the drow. Ooh, ah. Ooh, ah. <laughs> so, part two, drow origins. Now, we won't be talking about the origins of the drow, like, within the Forgotten Realms, because that... We might stick that in part two, or maybe it's an entire episode in itself. Maybe it's a Patreon episode in itself. I don't know. But we're more talking about the idea of where Drow came from and like the inspiration before it was included in their first appearance in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And it will surprise absolutely no one to learn that. Drow were created by Mr. Biological Determinism himself, Gary Gygax. What? I know. Gary Gygax creating something problematic? Never heard of it. What? (laughs) So we'll be talking mostly about his inspirations in this section. And I'd like to start us off with some quotes that we found in our research two of which are from Lissa's favorite site, andworld.org.com. Andworld.org. Andworld.org. The first one, uh, I think these are all in response to like, how'd you come up with the drow? And was it really you that came up with the drow? And questions like that. We've talked about Endworld a lot on this podcast and about Gary Gygax's willingness to engage with fans, which is great for answering our questions. <laughs> and just great in general. We acknowledge it. You know, in terms of engaging with his fans, pretty okay guy. A bit fucked up. Pretty okay guy. (laughs) (laughs) The first quote is on N-World. I saw the reference in an unexpurgated dictionary. Dark Elf. From that, I made up the whole of the drow race as the main antagonist for the vasty Underdark. So just a side note, I tried to find this dictionary. It's called Funk and Wagnall's Unexpurgated Dictionary. I couldn't find it or I could find some versions of the Unexpurgated Dictionary and I couldn't I couldn't find where he found these. So if it I think it doesn't exist or if it does, please somebody else, please find it for us and check check the source because because we found this on nworld.org and it's, we want to know. I mean, when you say funk, do you mean like, like funky? Or is that like I mean, I think name? that's somebody's last name. Funk and oh. Wagnall. Because it's Funk and Wagnall's unexpurgated dictionary. 
Do you know if it's German, like Wagnall or Wagnall? It could be. W-A-G-N-A-L-L. Funk and Wagnall Unexpurgated Dictionary. Please find it. Okay. (laughs) Please find it. Okay, thanks. The second quote is from gamedeveloper.com. And he, Gary Gygax, said, the drow were devised to be the antithesis of the usual elves. And the concept worked very well, I must say. So from the very beginning, drow were slotted to not only live in the Underdark and inhabit the Underdark, but also to be antagonists. So from the very beginning, their their whole origin is villainous, like from the guy who created them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last quote, which is my favorite, because I have many opinions on it, also <laughs> from Edmworld, the second Edward quote. As I created them, there are absolutely no good drow save for the insane. This is from Gary Gygax. I'm just going to unpack that for a second. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) What the actual... There are no good drow. Like, in a whole race of humanoid creatures, there's not one good unless they're, quote, insane. And we're talking about a, a, a race of people that are our matriarchy. Yeah, he hasn't even, yeah, we haven't even gotten into the matriarchy part of this yet. That's in, that's in our final part. But like, just creating a race with the intent to make them an evil race. I believe that this is also a problem with orcs as well. Mm -hmm. Like creating an entire race of like sentient creatures that can be either villains or later on they became player races. Like making them all evil. It just... Uh, we said we weren't going to get into race and problems, but why? <laughs> there aren't a race of people in the real world that are all evil. It's all very complicated when it comes to that. And for some, in my opinion, for somebody who took great pride early on to make things as realistic as possible in terms of battle mechanics and how things worked... The fact that for his first, like, really, I think, deep lore in Dungeons and Dragons, because for a long time in AD&D, they didn't really have a lot of lore. They just kind of shamelessly stole lore from a bunch of other places and just didn't even change names or anything. They weren't even inspirations because it just had, wasn't developed yet. That's one of the first things you do is have an entirely evil race. And that that's not realistic, you know, from somebody who, like, prided themselves on realism. I don't know. Is that a fair critique to make? Because I know it's fantasy. I understand that. Good and evil in fantasy is, like, a whole other rant I can go on. But it's, it's. I mean, it is it is what it is. We can't change it now. But it it is True. problematic in this day and age. I think it was problematic back then as well. Just it was a much smaller community and a much less diverse community because they didn't welcome in diversity from the get-go, which we have also talked about a lot on this podcast and we'll continue to talk about. Those are the quotes I could find that I think there are more quotes that I found from him, but I think those three really encapsulate like Gary Gygax's feelings on the drow, how he came up with the drow, and they also kind of sent us on our own little separate deep dives of like what he meant when he was saying these things. 
I believe I have, I have some other Gary Gygax quotes later that I tore apart, but from the beginning of this section, like just to give you like a <laughs> a little introduction to the kind of mindset that we're dealing with when these drow, when this race of, I want to call them a race of people because they are people, when this race of people were first created and just like carry that thought with you throughout the rest of this episode. Now, ooh, really smooth transition. We're going to do talk specifically about his fairy tale influences that we mentioned, the unexpurgated unexpurgated dictionary Lissa found to be like very fairy tale influenced, I think, or like one of the dictionaries you found was specifically about fairy tales. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then I'll talk a little bit about his literary influences that people credit where he took inspiration from for a lot of the traits of the draw. So Lissa. Take it away, fairy tale queen. Gygax was an intellectual who took inspiration from c- different countries and stories worldwide. And one such inspiration for his work was Scandinavia. Now, if you don't know what Scandinavia is, this is not a Finland plug because Scandinavia is Sweden, Denmark, Norway. And what is this our first anti-Finland? Plug? This is our first anti-Finland plug. <gasps> no, arguably boo. Iceland, Finland and the Faroe Islands are included in that. But Scandinavia is based on the origin of the language and the similarity of the language. Therefore, Finland, because we are a weird fucking country, does not <laughs> include or is not included in this. You saying Finland is a weird fucking country is a Finland plug in itself. It We, we are a weird fucking country. Um, in a good way. So he took inspiration from specifically something called Thomas Kiteley's Fairy Mythology. So this was a book published in 1828. And it talks about specifically something from Norway. Norway has something called Eddas, which are a collection of poems or prose, and some sagas, which are northern written histories. So essentially, there was this guy called Story Sturluson, and I'm probably butchering his name, and he was a historian in Norway who compiled the oral history around Norway and wrote it into prose that he called Edda. These were a combination of real historical events that happened and mythology and the lore of the people from that time and also what they call the wildest fictions of romance, with air quotes. Ooh, that sounds very, very sexual. I'm just going to put it out there. I mean, we've all heard of, you know, the tales of you know zeus and his lovers and you know all these great gods who went out and turned into trees and swans or they fucked trees or they fucked swans you know all of this good shit so it's it's not that different scandinavia is somewhat known for its vivid mythology tolkien was partially inspired by some of it i don't think he did that much with scandinavian history but We do have, you know, Hans Christian Andersen is from Denmark, so Scandinavia. He had all these stories about mermen, mermaids, next trolls, sprites, dwarves, nisses, and elves. 
you know, the Little Mermaid, Thumbelina, and all that stuff. We have this Snorri Sturluson who wrote about two things. Something called Elfar, or Elfs, or other words, Elves, and Dorgar, a.k.a. Dwarves, which are actually, fun fact, two classes that we can find in AD&D. So Elves and Dwarves. And actually, I think Dwargar, they actually use that term in the original AD&D Monster Manual because those are a race of evil dwarves. I think they also have them in 5th edition. I think they're in Mordenkainen's or Tasha's Cauldron. Maybe Mordenkainen's, I think. Like, they went in depth. Also, when you say alves, can you spell the difference between alves and elves? Because now hearing you say it, okay. it sounds so similar. So they are spelled differently. <laughs> what they're originally called is alfar. So I think that's the plural. So A-L-F-A-R, elfar, because that's Norwegian. And singular, or well, a different written is elves. So A-L-F-S. Okay. Yeah. As a TLDR, there is a whole thing where Snorri Sturluson, or the person who translated his work, there's a lot of people who got who mixed up a lot of things. So different races got mixed up in each other in this piece of work. So there are sections where it is impossible to tell what he's talking about. So dwarves become elves, become dark elves, become trolls. There's a whole lot of language and misinterpretation issues in the piece of work, which makes it a little bit hard to read at parts. But I tried my best to understand what they're talking about. So let's get into the mindset of Norway, Scandinavia. It's a lot of forest. It's a lot of belief in nature and nature spirits and things. So the Edda says this. Our forefathers believed the world was filled with various nature spirits, which were divided into the celestial spirits and the terrestrial spirits. The terrestrial spirits included air, sea, and earth kinds, and these were not the favorable spirits. These terrestrial spirits were believed to torment and injure mankind. That's kind of the top of the funnel. Now, when we get more specifically... And when we read further into the Eddas, he starts talking about something called the Dark Elves. So there are Dark Elves and there are Light Elves, but we're specifically looking at the Dark Elves because this is where the Dark Elves came from. So the Drow, the Drow came from. The Dark Elves, spelled A-L-F-S, or Duk Elfar, I am butchering that. D-O with a two dots, C-K-A with a dash up, L-F-A-R. Duck Elfar. <laughs> Much better than I would do. I'm not even going to attempt. <laughs> the Dark Elves, or Duck Elfar, dwell below under the ground, are blacker than pitch, are evil elves who frequently inflict sickness or injury on mankind, and are described as playful and mischievous. They imitate humans to make fun of them and are believed to dwell under the houses of mankind. 
And also in the footnotes, again, it talks about how the language of the Edda is confusing and you can't distinguish between dark elves or dark elves and the dwarves. So the Dwargar. Why do you think that is, Shirley? I I really don't know because mixing up elves and dwarves as we know them today is such an odd thing because one, they just physically look different. and Two, in terms of like most lore about both of them, they don't really have a whole lot in common. <laughs> I is it just a translation issue, or did originally elves and dwarves used to live in harmony, and then all of these fantasy authors got a hold of them and tore them apart because mm-hmm. rude? Maybe they were best friends, and now in all these fantasy books, they are warring factions all the time. Also, when you read through like all of the points of the dark elves, like 75% of those you can still see in like the drow culture, which we'll get deeper into now. But like it's super clear to see when you like kind of do it point by point by that, like that, how they relate to drow as we know them today. Blacker than pitch, dwelling below the ground, Mm -hmm. inflicting injury on mankind. Yeah. Playful, mischievous, no. Yeah, so Imitating humans, kind of. (laughs) These, so what the Dark Elves kind of, what I think they're trying to come from, they're like these spirits. So they're not like actual elves. They're like unseen, playful spirits that I was told about as a kid as well so you would believe that they're kind of like the the spirits of nature that you can't really they're kind of like you know the um, santa claus has you know these elves that work for him and make all his presents and stuff you can never see them they're around they're always watching you it's kind of creepy but you know you get used to it so in kind of scandinavian and nordic culture we kind of believe that there are also like other elves or like beings that live in nature and they kind of play tricks on people i don't know if you you've you've seen the eurovision movie so that kind of touches i showed you the eurovision movie you showed me the eurovision movie so that kind of shows they build like huts for these elves and they give offerings to these elves, and they believe that the elves kind of have this magical power. So that's kind of where this is coming from, which is, yeah, it's a, it's an issue. They're blacker than pitch and kind of that, but they're not, it's not, it's not in a racist way. It's more like they're, because they're spirits and they're, they're just colors and beings. It, it's not meant to be like they're an, an actual race of people. It's more of like the metaphor of like the light and the dark, heaven and hell and that yeah. kind of dichotomy more so than like black is bad and white is good and yeah, you know it, it, all this. You yeah, don't have any control of them. They just kind of are there and they play tricks on people and when things go bad, you know, you you blame the you blame the evil elves and then when things are good, you know, you thank the good elves and then when you hear like weird noises in your house, you know, that's an elf playing a trick on you. And then, you know, when the sauna is like making weird noises, it's, oh, you know, it's just a sauna elf, you know, doing something. 
that's so you're saying that Rachel McAdams character and how like dependent she is on the approval of elves is fairly accurate for this kind of depiction like when she says the elves have gone too far that's correct (laughs) I mean it's it's something that my grandmother believed in or it's something that my grandmother who's passed away taught me so it's it's an old tradition. I don't know that necessarily that everybody believes in it, and I think it's kind of dying out in the modern generation. But it's it's an old belief that you know it's nice to think about. Yeah, it's it's kind of nostalgic and comforting, kind of in a way, like having that kind of mythology. I think in a way much more pure than the what the drow turned out to be. So like, yeah, if we really think of this from like Gary Gygax's inspiration. And if he did take inspiration from this, he took the worst parts, like not, ooh, fairy mythology and ooh, good elves and dark elves and blah, blah, blah. No, he's just like, you know what? I'm going to take this and I'm going to make it so much worse. <laughs> yeah, that was one of his inspirations for Gygax, that is. What were some of the other inspirations that Gygax had? Gygax was very well read, like you said. So not only did he like read a bunch of mythology, he also read a lot of fantasy and science fiction, as one does. Kind of pinpointing all of his inspirations would just be a feat. Like somebody could probably do a PhD on that. I was very lucky to find that somebody else had already pinpointed two specific authors that he got inspiration from. And I completely agree with what they said. So I'm going to share that information here. I found an article on the origins of the drow in Dungeons and Dragons. And this is on a site called Dungeoneers Guild Games. I believe they are a game company. I tried to look at who the original author of the article was, but it's just an article written by this company. There isn't any author attributed to it. They... Not only, I think, they also talked about fairy tales, but they also talked about his literary influences and two specific authors that they pinpointed, one of which is Paul Anderson. He wrote books such as The Broken Sword and Three Hearts, Three Lions, one published in 1954, the other in 1961, which coincidentally are where all of these traits are from. So they pinpointed specific traits from his I don't remember if it was specifically a dark elf race or if it was just an elven race in general, because these are both fantasy books, FYI. They picked out some traits that they thought coincided with the drow. And I believe these authors are all in, I forget, I think it's in the Dungeon Master's Guide, like the appendix where all of the um, like reading material that they use, like they credited all the reading material. I think it's in the Dungeon Master's Guide in AD&D. So I think Gary Gygax himself put in one of the guidebooks that he was inspired by these authors. Seeing these traits kind of lined out, not only is it, oh, wow, what a coincidence. It's like, no, we can kind of safely assume that he took inspiration from these authors. Paul Anderson's elves, some of the traits that they have in common with the drow as we know them today, they live in castles in perpetual twilight of the fairy realm. So perpetual twilight drow don't like the sunlight they employ fantastic hunting animals such as griffins and manticores which the drow also do uh, especially when they're hunting these elves keep goblins kobolds and other elf tribes as slaves great 
Lovely. Which is also true for of the drow. <laughs> like, I will get into it, but they're big on slavery, which, you know, what evil race isn't, she said sarcastically. The other elven race, there are a lot of bullet points, by the way, that ha- have similarities, but I just picked out a, a few because I could go off and compare and contrast all day, every day, but you guys don't want to hear that. You guys want to hear us rant and <laughs> not spit facts. We just, you just want to hear us rant, hopefully. I'm going to butcher this name, by the way. So Michael Moorcock, the author, he has a race of elves called the Malnibonian. Malnibone. Malnibonian. I'm so sorry. I haven't read Michael Moorcock yet, so I, I probably butchered that. And Michael Moorcock, for those of you who don't know, he's basically sci-fi fantasy royalty since the 60s. Huge inspiration from D&D. We've talked about Michael Moorcock before. I believe the Malnibonian pantheon or something of the like was also featured in deities and demigods in AD&D from what I remember. In Michael Moorcock's race, some traits that I picked out that this article picked out, but also I felt really lined up with how drow society is. Fabulous wealth. Drow love their money. They're very prideful people. Stronger with sorcery than with warriors. Again, yes. And take pleasure in torture and suffering of others and also slavery. (laughs) I just love that slavery was just like they kept slaves is like one of the the big things that through all like why? Because they're demons. The drow? I mean, that's the only other thing that I can pinpoint that also keeps slaves like off the top of my head in D&D lore. Yeah. Oh, I can, and I mean, the drow, the drow and demons also have kind of a relationship that I can talk about, too, if you want me to get into it later. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> oh, I will. And for those of you who know who are listening, oh, you know, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, you can very clearly see the ties between these literary influences and Gygax's drow. He just took the worst things and put them in his advanced Dungeons and Dragons race. And Drow, from what we know, they were not a playable race at first. They started out as monsters. So Gygax set out to create a violent, evil race. To give the benefit of the doubt, it kind of makes sense that he chose the worst traits out of everything. Because, you know, in literary theory, I guess when you want people to hate something or someone you make them as vile as possible because you want like a visceral reaction do i agree with some of these methods no there are other ways to make people evil other than using like super sensitive topics like slavery but i digress this is not the episode for me to talk about my opinions on how to make good villains Anything else you want to add about Gygax's influences before we tie up this section, Lissa? There are many, but these are the kind of two that we hyper-focused on, I think. Not really, no. I think that pretty much covers it, you know? We're still getting to the good shit, TM. Yeah, we're getting to the good shit, Lollipop, don't you worry. But as for Gygax, like, we could have done an entire episode on Gygax's relationship with Drow or his creation of the Drow which would mostly just be us dissecting his quotes. And I think I considered it when I was doing the outline for this episode, but I'm just like, nah, 
I don't think that's as interesting. But if anybody wants to hear us dissecting Gygax's quotes about the drow, let us know. We're happy to do that. We just want to make sure we're entertaining, too. And some people might find that not find that as entertaining as some of the other stuff we're about to rant about. <laughs> so. he, he read a bunch of stuff and he took the points that he liked slash found evil mm-hmm. and just, you know, mix them up and out pop the drow, you know, as you do. He birthed the drow. He birthed the drow. And the rest is history. Basically. But we also, to kind of round out, conclude this section, it's important to note that, yes, Gygax did lay the foundation of the drow. The drow are his original creation. However, throughout the years, there have been many other authors, game designers that have also contributed to drow lore throughout the years. It has continued to expand. It continues to expand. So I thought I'd highlight just a a good grouping of these people. These are the people who contributed to books like The Drow of the Underdark, Demi-Human Deities. There's also an article I came across very well done about drow social relationships that came out around the time of the publication of some books. There are specific guidebooks that just really, really fleshed out drow culture, and I wanted to highlight those contributors as well. Because while Gygax definitely set the groundwork, I think these people really, really cemented what drow culture was. And they could be considered maybe even more bigger world builders than even Gygax was. The first and probably the most important is Ed Greenwood. I called him main contributor boy. He actually created the Forgotten Realms world that TSR purchased. So he created, he spent years creating this world and TSR loved it so much that they're like, yeah, we want to make that our canon world. We love everything that you've done. So he said a lot, he, he really flushed out a lot of the drow lore. Eric L. Boyd also contributed much. Sean K. Reynolds, a name many listeners may be familiar with. R.A. Salvatore with his Dark Elf trilogy, the Drist Chronicles, however you know it as. He also contributed a lot. Some other names that I found, specifically of the Drow of the Underdark series, both second and third edition. Roger Moore, Eric Upin. Jim Lauder, James Jacobs, Ari Marmel, Anthony Pryor, Robert J. Schwalb, Greg A. Vaughn. Thank you to take a second before we move on to our final segment. What do the majority of those names and those people have in common before we move on to the matriarchy of the drow? What, 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 do, you, what do they have in common, Robert and Anthony and Ed? Process it. They're all men. They are all men. Thank you. Every single one of them. Every name that I mentioned on this list is a man. The main contributors of drow lore of the most famous matriarchy in Dungeons and Dragons. Every single one of them. A man. And we double checked. We looked up all of their biographies, we, their Wikipedia pages, their profiles. Just to make sure we were getting the pronouns right, their identifiers right, these are all men. (laughs) They are. (laughs) And I also want to note that there are women who contributed to the lore, but such a small percentage. Um, Some notable names being Elaine Cunningham, who wrote the Starlight and Shadows trilogy, 
and Karen Boomgarden. She has a dedication in this Tui guidebook for the Draw of the Underdark. But their contributions are not as heavily credited, and I really can't say how much that they influenced it at all. But yeah, TLDR, most of the authors of the matriarchy are men, and we love that. We love it so much. We love it so much. And do we have to say it's problematic? Oh, you know it is. I mean, we know it is. It's very problematic. So I guess we don't have to say it. But um, yeah, it is. It's fucked up. And I want all of you dear listeners to just keep that in mind that like all the lore that I'm about to go into in the next section, in my part of the next section, I want you to keep in mind that all of this lore, like there is a good like 90, I'll say, an, I'll give it room for error, like a 95% chance that this lore was written by men. So just just keep that in mind. <laughs> just, just keep that in mind. Any Anything else to add, <laughs> Lissa, about the the origins of the drow before we move on to our third and final section? Just waves of seething anger. <laughs> I hope you can feel the seething anger, because I can. So without further ado, now that you have all that background information, you have all the origins, you have a little description in your noggin, you are starting to hear the anger radiating in our voices, let's let's get to the meat. Let's get to the juicy, juicy meat of this episode, which we have titled The Good Shit. Let's go to part three, the drow matriarchy. Ooh. And that is definitely what she said. The juicy, juicy meat. Yes, absolutely. Part three. Drow matriarchy, a.k.a. the good shit. Trademarked. The steak of this sandwich. This juicy, amazing sandwich. Before we get into the nitty gritty drow society stuff, We have to define what is a matriarchy. The definition of matriarchy changes depending on who you're talking to. Now, I want you, our listeners, to picture or think about what you think a matriarchy is, or if you have one, of an example of one. Got it? You're most probably wrong. (laughs) Because what most people think a matriarchy is, is that they think it's the opposite of a patriarchy. You take men in power and you turn it into women being in power. And as I found out, and as we found out, that's incorrect. The Oxford Language Dictionary defines a matriarchy as a system of society or government that is ruled by a woman or women. It's also a form of social organization in which descent and relationship are reckoned through the female line and the state of being an older, powerful woman in a family or group. While those are all parts of what can constitute as matriarchy, there is a bit of a problem there. Do you want to know what what the problem is? Do I ever... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's that 
for most of history, guess who's been defining what a matriarchy is and has been doing all the studies on matriarchies? It's goddamn white men is who it is. What? Shocking, I know. White men writing all of history? Weird. It's so strange. So as soon as we realize that white men have had their hand in everything, including what defines as a matriarchy and determining what is, you know, makes up a matriarchy, what its parts are, what's good, what's not good and everything. We're not we're not going to take that. We're not going to take that definition from them. Fun fact, in the 19th century, white men theorists unsuccessfully tried to prove that the stages of human social organization were the following. We went from, first, animalistic sexual promiscuity to being a matriarchy, and then to being a patriarchy because... The evolution of culture is that the patriarchy follows the matriarchy because the patriarchy is better. Therefore, we must make women into slaves and them into production machines of children. Is that what the actual studies said or is that just you <laughs> ranting? <laughs> no, this is white men theorists in the 19th century and what they were trying to prove, which has now been discredited, which just case in point why we don't listen to okay. white men <laughs> about matriarchy. So who do we listen to, you may be asking? We listen to the queen of matriarchies. So we are talking about Dr. Heidi Guttner Abendroth, a German philosopher and researcher on culture and society who was nominated for not one, but two Nobel Peace Prizes. Where did the white, did the white men get any Nobel Peace Prizes before? Zero. They got, well, I don't actually know. I didn't check it out, but <laughs> they, I can't oops, say zero. <laughs> my God, Mike might have to backtrack. They may ha may not have gotten Nobel Peace Prize, but at least we know for sure that this, our queen, was nominated twice. Mm -hmm. So our queen, Heidi Guttner Abendroth, has a PhD in philosophy of science at the University of Munich. She is German. She has dedicated her life to research on matriarchal studies and has become the founder of modern matriarchal studies. Her date range of research begins somewhere in the mid-1980s, but her main work being in the mid-2000s onwards. It is safe to assume that Gary Gygax did not have access to her work, being that she was in Germany when she started out in the 1980s, and she was studying about the matriarchy, and I don't think he would have found his research about matriarchies or specifically ones written in German to begin with. Her work has been translated into English since then, but I think that's something more recent. She also founded the International Academy Hagia for Matriarchal Studies in Germany. So she knows what she's talking about when she says what a matriarchy is. So this is the reason why we will listen to her. So she says that a matriarchy is the culture, a culture centered around a mother without ruling over the other members of the society. So it is not based on the domination by any gender, but instead 
on using maternal values such as being caretaking, being nurturing, using negotiations, and striving for the equality between men and women. So this is not what a patriarchy is, on the other hand, because a patriarchy, on complete other hand, other, complete, utter, complete other hand, is a society of domination and enforcement, whereas a matriarchy is a society based on nat- natural authority and voluntariness. A matriarchy is being wise rather than being strong, which is what a patriarchy is. So different genders and generations have their own dignity. And she says that a matriarchy is very similar to egalitarianism. Egalitarianism is the removal of inequality between people. And not what a drow society is. Or what do you think, Charlotte? No. Every, everything you just said is like the complete opposite of what drow society actually is. And I'll get into like specifically why. But like, I just, yeah, no, that is. I mean, I guess if you want to say, well, every society can be flipped and there can be an evil version of every society. This is a fictional race, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that this is like drow society is the only like really well-known matriarchal society in all of the D&D Forgotten Realms lore is staggering to me because they it per it doesn't have any of these features that you just said, which I completely agree with, by the way. It, it totally, it makes way more sense for a matriarchal society in my brain to be a society where, you know, caretaking is more at the forefront. Mm-hmm. It's based on natural authority, on voluntariness, negotiating a much, I don't want to say softer way of you know, running a society, but it is. It's it's like more comforting, more comfortable, mm-hmm. more nurturing in a way. And I feel like a proper matriarchy is one that relies on these traditional values that that completely makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And it it is it is not it is not what the drow matriarchy is, which just makes everything so much worse. <laughs> so much worse not only just the drow matriarchy but the fact that all of the matriarchies in D are evil and yeah evil women and it's it's such a skewed version of a matriarchy but let's get into that later yeah well i i think we both have very similar theories as to why that is but we'll save those we'll save the the juicy juicy part of the meat like the middle part of the meat that's like a little undercooked but it's like in a good way like i won't give you salmonella we'll (laughs) save that for later the non-salmonella hot takes (laughs) so there are some really fun facts actually that are stated about matriarchal societies so they do have significantly less crime violence and divorce than in traditionally patriarchal societies, but, you know, that would require these societies to actually be matriarchal for this to happen. But the really fun fact that comes about in a matriarchal society that kind of does more so relate to the drow societies, they have significantly more sex in those societies, apparently. Now, 
if you if you're thinking what what the fuck like that how how does that come about let me tell you about an in real life matriarchy example so we're talking about the Mosuo tribe so this is a tribe of about 40,000 people that live in the foothill of the Himal- Himalayan mountains where women and men First of all, they live separately and they have a division of labor. So women take care of the business and raise children while men take care of animals. In their language, there is specifically no exact term for father or husband in the way that the English language has a term like that. There is also no slut shaming in their culture Because women are free to have sex with whomever. How this works is because they live in separate places, you're not, you're, you don't have like a a husband or a monogamous partner necessarily. So women will go apparently into the house of a man, will have sex with them, will have their child or will have somebody's child and will raise them as their own. But the father isn't really part of that. So they might not even know who the father is. So they can just essentially go around having sex with people and not be slut-shamed. So like men in a patriarchal society, you mean? Yeah. Except in this society, everyone can have sex with anybody without being slut-shamed. What a, it sounds like a utopia <laughs> in, in, in terms of like sexual liberation. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know that you had some um, information for us about Gygax's interpretations of the matriarchy. Yes. So these are the other quotes that I was alluding to earlier, just to kind of round out and and really emphasize how differently Gary Gygax, when he was forming the matriarchy of the drow, and he, he really set the tone. You can also kind of, quote, blame the other people that I mentioned earlier, like Ed Greenwood and R.A. Salvatore, for some of the other things that are very problematic with drow society matriarchies. But Gygax really did set the precedent. He set the tone. And in an interview with GameDeveloper.com in regards to matriarchies, he's quoted as saying, To emphasize the difference of this race of dark elves, I made the females more powerful than the males. Incidentally, I had meant to do the same in a new race of potent, good elven sort, but I never got to it before I left TSR. Anyway, the drow were devised to be the antithesis of the usual elves, and the concept worked very well, I must say. So, specifically for the, oh, I, oh, I meant to do a good race with a matriarchy. Sure you did. Sure you did. Like, yeah, there were people who used to work at TSR who did transition over when Wizards of the Coast bought out TSR. He could have told them to do it. They didn't. I don't know if he ever did tell them to do it, but it never showed up. People who are in the D&D community or were at Wizards and saw this quote never did that. So that quote saying, well, I meant to do that, I I'm discrediting that just for personal. It's my personal opinion that I really don't think he meant it or he didn't mean it seriously because 
if he did mean it seriously and if the other people who contributed to drow culture wanted another like matriarchy to show in a good light they would have done it already personally i don't know (laughs) i might be very jaded at this point because we're about to get into like what the matriarchy is i'm getting all geared up for it but yeah it's just it's it's icky to me i don't know do you have any strong opinions on that one lissa (laughs) It's, 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 it's like saying, um, oh yeah, I definitely, definitely didn't mean for this to be a one-off, but I didn't fix it. Like, he's almost admitting it to being, not like a mistake, but like, I wanted to equal it out to make it less bad for the game, but nah. Nah. (laughs) It's, it's icky. I don't, I don't like it. Yeah, I don't, I don't trust it. More so, it's definitely a key, and I just don't trust it from what I know of Gary Gygax. And like, if people really held him and what he wanted to do with the Forgotten Realms and with D&D in such high regard, they would have taken that seriously and they would have done it by now again, but I, they haven't, so. They, they must not have seen it as a problem. That's... They, I, they definitely don't see it as a problem, I think. Well, okay, I'll get into that later. <laughs> I'm already getting mad. I have one more quote to get through. Dang it. Um, Okay, hold on. Before I get mad and before I start ranting, second quote from unworld.com.org.net. Drow females are like spiders in regards to their superiority to the male. They are quite, there are quite a few examples of females being larger and stronger than their male counterparts in the animal kingdom. And it seems that many of the theropod dinosaurs were likewise. So because of the, who I am as a person, <laughs> I dissected the shit out of this quote because I had no idea what he was talking about when it came to like the animal kingdom, theropods. I kind of have a brief understanding on how spiders society works, but not that in depth. But I did look into theropod dinosaurs and recently this claim that he's making that like for theropod dinosaurs which i forget what kind of dinosaurs those are i'm so sorry the idea that the female theropods were bigger than the male theropods has been debunked there's a 2020 study by queen mary university of london that stated it's very difficult to tell apart male and female dinosaurs using just fossils which is what we have so the idea that he's kind of speaking in fact that, yeah, theropod dinosaurs are part of the, you know, inspiration is kind of iffy to me. I mean, he did make these, he did make the drop in the 70s, so he wasn't around with this study, but I don't know. I, I could very easily debunk that one, and I, I find it very odd, very, very odd that he used dinosaurs and spiders as inspiration when there are actual human examples of matriarchies. And b- before m- me and Lissa state our opinions on that, um, I also looked into spiders and how um, spiders have larger females. There's a BBC article that says that this is because of gravity and reproduction neither of which are ever talked about in drow lore. So I have no idea, again, why he used that. Maybe he took inspiration from, you know, some 
females eating male spiders, possibly, because I know that's a thing. So basically, why are the female drow bigger than the male drow? Yeah. They, there isn't an explanation as to why that is. They just say that they are. They don't say it's for reproductive reasons. They don't say it's because of gravity. They don't say because it's anything in the Underdark. They just say in the drow lore that females are typically larger than males in that specific wording. I mean, this is an entire race that is based on the single fact that the females are... It's it's a matriarchy, and yeah, it's it's just it's weird. Plus, like the whole thing, like I looked into this. It's male spiders also eat female spiders. Like it is a thing. <laughs> Great. And just because you know, was it tarantulas or the black? No, it was the black widow spider. Just because she is so. The females of the Black Widow are so known for eating their male counterparts after sex. It's just become this, like, iconic fact. But what's not talked about is that male spiders also eat female spiders before, during, or after sex, too. You know, like, it's... And also, why spiders? Like, what about elephants or any other matriarchy in the animal kingdom? I mean, I, I have a theory behind that and I guess now is a good place to put it in I think he used spiders because I we mentioned before Lolf the spider queen right she is an evil god in D&D lore Lolf she is has a spider form as well as a dark elven form and I have a feeling he chose specifically spiders because they are venomous because like so many people fear spiders they have such a bad reputation they can poison other creatures. Like, if you think of a spider, you don't think, oh, well, I mean, I guess some people really think spiders are cute, which is totally fine. But like, as a society in a whole, spiders don't have the best reputation. So he found, again, kind of a, quote, evil or iffy type of thing in our world and just attached it to the drow. And they just happen to have some matriarchal connotations to them which aren't even matriarchal connotations. And also, why are these all animal inspirations, Lissa? Why? Why animal inspirations? I mean, he he was a learned man, so... And he wanted to make the race evil, and what's more evil than female spiders killing male spiders during sex? Because from the biological determinist point of view... That's just fucking evil, man. From his patriarchal brain, that's just fucking nonsense and weird and awesome at the same time because he can use that for his weird race where yeah, it's just the patriarchy but flipped over for women. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get into that for sure. But before we do, I think you're being too nice. I think you're being way too nice. And I'm going to be the bitch here who's reading maybe a little bit too much into it. But I feel like it's worth putting out there that I'm not saying this is Gary Gygax's opinion. He is deceased. I cannot put words into his mouth. I'm not trying to defame him in any way. But I think it's hella sketchy and hella problematic that 
you are equating a the only matriarchal society that you ever flushed out to the animal kingdom and equating a society run by women as animalistic and henceforth women are closer to animals when they run society than they are to people. And I think that's fucked up, personally. My opinion. Not a fact. My opinion. But, I mean, the writing's kind of on the wall, right? I mean, when when you say that, Remember the discredited theory of um, cultural evolution? Oh, the evolution? Uh-huh. Yeah. Remember how we moved on from animalistic sexual promiscuity to the matriarchy? Ooh. <gasps> Maybe he read that study. He loved biological determinism. We know this. Except That's a what fact. the matriarchy was wasn't what we think the matriarchy is which is what you know heidi gutner ab abendroth thinks what he thinks it's essentially just the patriarchy well flipped over the patriarchy flipped over yeah so it's just animalistic sexual promiscuity masked as a matriarchy which is actually a patriarchy just with women instead of men Yes. Oh my God. I'm so ready to go. I'm so pumped. Are you ready for me to go into how a draw matriarchy works? Because I am fucking ready. Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready Tell to me go more. off. And I'm, and I'm ready for... So full disclosure, I have told Lissa all of these facts ahead of time, but I specifically told her to not react to any of them because I want to know her genuine reactions as I'm reading some of this stuff out. So Lissa, please interrupt me. Please give your opinions. Let's this do this. Is basically going to be me on a rant because I, Lissa for this episode fell into the, I'm going to look into all the context and I fell into, I'm going to look into all the lore. So this is what I found on the drow matriarchal lore. And this is not all the information that I found because we just flat out don't have time. Hopefully some of it will end up in our second part. Or maybe we'll go into specifics of like really flesh out some of these facts that I found in our second. We don't really know what the structure of our second episode is going to be, but don't worry. It's 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 going to be way more of like a deep dive into like the intricacies of this, I think, because there's just so much to unpack. There's so much to unpack here. And I'm just, so oh my much. God, I'm ready. Okay. But I am, okay. So while I go off and Melissa interjects her prime opinions, Keep in mind as I'm doing this, all the matriarchy like pedagogy we just threw at you. Keep in mind Lissa's definition, Queen Heidi's definition of a matriarchy. Keep in mind the animalistic inspirations for the matriarchy. Keep in mind the origins that we talked about, specifically how all of this matriarchal lore was written by men. Just, you got it? I know it's a lot. Don't worry. This is this is the climax. This is me climaxing about drow. <laughs> I need that. Right, on a I said it, so I'm gonna keep going. <laughs> Put that in our um, merch ideas. <laughs> okay. So, oh, also keep in mind that drow society is meant to be evil. So all of these things are meant to elicit negative responses. All of these things are meant to paint a picture of what an evil society is. 
Okay. And basically, this is the part of the episode where all the trigger warnings come in. So if you've made it this far and you're you're like, hey, why are they talking about all the things that they said they were going to? Oh, I'm gonna. It's coming. Oh, I'm gonna. It's coming. And I want you to know that if I start laughing, it's really not laughing at any of these issues. It's just laughing because of how ridiculous some of this stuff is. And I hope I think, you know, we have enough rapport with our audience to for them to know that. But just in case it's the first episode you've listened to of ours, I'm really not laughing at any of these issues. There's just so many of them. You kind of have to laugh at how ridiculous it is. All right. So to start us off on this curated journey of draw society i'm gonna paint another picture for you this is the third picture we painted today we're basically artists now picture it the underdark labyrinthine passages that weave into each other like a spider's web buildings carved out of stalactites and stalagmites beautiful ethereal But then you turn to your left and you see a bunch of dead drow murdered on the streets. And you hear the sounds of constant battle, maybe a little bit of fucking. And what do you have? Game of Thrones on steroids. Boom. Yeah, that's that's basically. Oh, also, there's statues to Lolf everywhere. (laughs) just everywhere here are a couple of things that you will see while walking down the streets of one of the famous drow cities that i will not bother pronouncing here i didn't even put them in my notes because i will butcher them but really most drow cities and societies are very similar in this aspect you will see slaves of any race you can think of particularly surface elves, some dwarves, a lot of orcs, goblins, kobolds. You will see children being abused by their parents, by their caretakers. And I won't get too much into detail because this could be very triggering for a lot of people, and I I totally understand. But just one example is how drow view children is, yes, they want to expand their race and stuff, but they are very big into being perfect and beauty standards. And if a drow child is born too ugly, (laughs) they will kill them. I don't really know what to say to that. <laughs> Just let that sink in, it's I suppose. actually horrible. It's horrifying, and they actually view it as a mercy because the drow as a society, as their lore is written, they, they think it's a mercy to kill children who have not their beauty standards because they think that drow will not survive the rest of the world if they're if they don't look a certain way. Super fun. (laughs) Super vain. Super vain. And I also, this is one of the first instances that I could see where it, it takes something, this matriarchy takes something that's traditionally feminine, like vanity and appearance, and kind of twists it. 
in a very evil way. And this isn't the this is the first instance I noticed, but it's not the only instance. So keep your ears out for that because it's everywhere, <laughs> unfortunately. Another thing that you would see very often if you were walking through one of these cities is sexual abuse, mostly of women abusing men. Again, I will not get too far into examples because they are disturbing. But I will say, again, one fact to highlight this is specifically men in drow society, in basically all facets of society, no matter what social class you're in, they're not allowed to refuse a woman's sexual advances. It's illegal. Let that sink in. (laughs) Super fucked up. One of the, not one of the last things you'll see, but one of the, another thing that you might come across, which is a rarity, but it's a fact that I felt like pointing out nonetheless, because it just seems so random in a way to me, is there is cannibalism among the drow. Specifically, when there is a population problem, like overpopulation, they will eat their elders I could not speak to why this is. I don't know if it's an allusion to, you know, that spider thing we were talking about before. But yeah, they'll just flat out eat people. And I posted this fact on Twitter and one of our followers said that it sounded like whoever came up with it read Jonathan Swift's An Indecent Proposal. (laughs) And I kind of agree. Except instead of eating children in a potato famine, you eat your elders for drought population control. Sure. Those are some of the bigger themes that you'd see coming across. So let's, let's narrow down the focus a bit. I think that's most of the heavy stuff I have. There's still some heavy stuff ahead, but like that's most of it. So take a breath. Whew. So the drought operate under a society called a theocratic matriarchy. So theocratic means that it's basically ruled over by priests, but at least more modern drow lore makes the very specific point that they don't really have a government because their society is so violent and there's so much infighting that they could never really have a sustainable government government. It's just a bunch of factions that are really like coexisting and the one at the top are the priests. Women have absolute power throughout their household. They have all the leadership positions. They are the head of households. Uh, They have all the militaristic power. And one of the reasons why this is, so really the only reason that I could find, because I didn't look too far into Loth. There might be some religious reasons for this that I just, I don't know yet. Because I had to cut off my research and my deep dive somewhere else. I would not have finished it in time for this episode. Slash might have gone more insane than I already have. One of the reasons that official drow lore says that women are held in such high regard is because they have the ability to bear and birth children. It's one of their greatest strengths. It, it's intriguing, but also... They're evil, so it's fucked up. 
Yeah, it's it's something that you're like, oh, that it's weird because that's one of the only facts that's kind of traditionally matriarchal in the way that we've talked about it. Yeah. Like women are like, yeah, women bring life into the world. They should be worshipped or something along those lines, right? But in context of everything else, specifically like all the fucked up stuff, like, but don't, it's almost like an addendum. It's like, oh, but don't worry. Like they hold women above everybody else because of their childbearing capabilities. Couldn't they just like, because maybe women in this society just have a lust for power that is unparalleled to men or something? Like, did it have to be about breeding? I hate to use the word breeding, but it feels appropriate here. Mm. I don't know. So I mentioned before that it's not technically a government. It's more of like an institutions that coexist. So at the top is the Church of Lulth. Um, and then they have a very specific class system, specifically within like nobility houses. And they also have a merchant clan, I believe, is the third one, which is the lowest. And they just coexist together. But there's still a hell of a lot of infighting specifically with the noble house system it's interesting because they have very very specific like these are the orders this is the order of people that are respected the most and at the very top is a priestess of loth even so with even within nobility like it's all about religion y'all all about religion and this priestess of loth that's head of the noble house system is called the matron mother which just the wording of that bothers me. <laughs> just personally, it bothers me. Mostly because I read matron is also like another word for mother. So I just read it as mother, mother. <laughs> that just might be a me thing. It's just rhetoric. It's just rhetoric. Learn it. <laughs> I actually wrote down the definition of matron from Miriam Webster. It's a married woman, usually of high social station, or a woman who is in charge of women or children, as in school or police station. So I guess it's not technically the same as mother, but it has like the same rhetorical connotations as mother, I guess, which sometimes rhetoric is more important than what the actual definition is, right? Like when you say a word in a very specific context, it carries just a completely different meaning, even if it doesn't meet up with that definition. I mean, to be fair, this might have been written in the 80s, so we don't know what the meaning of matron was back then. I, yeah. Or what the, if, if not meaning, then the connotation or the underlying mm -hmm. meaning was in the 80s. Yeah. And also it's, it's alliteration, which, you know, Gygax is a literary guy, so I'm pretty sure he liked the alliteration of matron mother. I don't know if matron mother was a, I don't think Matron Mother was a Gygax thing. I think it was a um, Greenwood thing. So uh, the guy okay. who created the Forgotten Realms. Mm. I think this was one of his additions from what I know. So underneath the Matron Mother, um, you have the female members of the house who are also priestesses usually. And then male officers and weapon masters. And underneath them is a house wizard. Now, I want to pause on house wizard because this is the only place I could think to fit this in. Wizards in drow society are usually men, weirdly. And I thought that was worth mentioning for a couple of reasons. First, because it just didn't logically make sense to me in a matriarchal society. Second, because in our 
pronouns and rhetoric episode, we talked about the origins of the word wizard and how its rhetorical composition and its etymology are geared towards men. Like the suffix A-R-D means man or something. Yeah. It's been a while since we've had that episode. Wizard. I just thought that above everything else, you, you know, you can't have female wizards. And then I did that poll and most of the answers when – so if you're not familiar with that episode, I went really deep and I <laughs> polled about 70-something. Maybe by the end it was like 100-something people to see like when you hear the word wizard or when you hear the word bard or when you hear the word uh, barbarian, what do you think of? Or specifically, what character do you think of? And for wizard, most of the answers were male, like men, male identifying characters from TV shows or movies or books. Because female wizards just don't exist. They're called witches, apparently. They're called, yeah, they're called witches because wizards and witches are just so intertwined within the mythology of our world, basically, that when you think of a female wizard, you just think of a witch. Anyway, that's a whole other <laughs> tangent. The reason that the drow mythology gives for this is men became wizards because it was a safety route for them. Uh, I have a quote here that says, this is from second edition, the drow of the underdark. Drow wizards, especially males, are often driven into exile out of fear at the treatment they expect from those of house rival houses, jealous priestesses, and the angered authority of Loth. So men go there for safety, but then when they get too powerful, women obviously get jealous of them, even though they hold all of the power in the matriarchy, so they're forced to flood. They're forced to flee. That doesn't... That doesn't check out for me, fam. <laughs> just doesn't check out for me. <laughs> and there's there's a bunch of stuff like that. Like if men get too much power in the society, like they instill fear in the women, which I guess is kind of parallel to how our patriarchal society is today in mm. a way. Should we get into that now or should we wait? <laughs> I mean, we, we should probably wait. I. <laughs> Uh, I have to finish how the house system works, obviously, before I forget what I'm talking about. So beneath house wizards are patrons, which are known are the matron's consort, other male house members, uh, non-military officer males, and then at the very, very bottom are servants and slaves. The priestesses of Loth ruled over everybody in society. They're basically without... With drawing the comparison with a governmental society, they're like the mayors, they're the presidents, they're the prime ministers, they're everything. Even though they're not a government, that's essentially how much power they hold here. And women were actually punished if they did not go into the church, which is something I also found very interesting. So women have women drow have to be clerics, is what you're telling me, or basically, yeah, priestesses. Or whatever. They have to have that holy affiliation, yeah. So they're they're kick-ass. They do whatever the fuck they want. They're also in power. Mm-hmm. But they have to be clerics. In order to hold that power, yeah, they have to be clerics. They have to be priests. They have to be 
close to their goddess Loth in order to hold any of that power. Think of it like a papal society, I guess, if if you really want to. But yeah, I found that, again, it's just odd. Like, why can't women just have power because they're powerful, even in like a, quote, evil society? Why does it have to be tied to religion? Is it to give the illusion of a of a cult or... I don't really have an answer for that one, but I think you kind of touched on it for me, like what you said of it just, yeah, almost tying women to clerics, even in a (laughs) matriarchal society, and also giving women limitations in a matriarchal society, a society that women should rule over and have the most amount of freedom. They're still limited in what they can do. Yeah. you Women still don't have all the power. If you're not a priestess, you're probably going to get killed. So is this a matriarchy? We'll answer that at the end of my rant. Because <laughs> I'm about halfway done. I still got a couple things to say <laughs> before we analyze some stuff. And please interrupt me if you have like an opinion that you just really need to shout out. As you have probably noticed by now, I haven't talked a whole lot about the amount of power that men have in this society because they don't have any. They are valueless. Their life is worth literally nothing in this society. The only way to gain any sort of title or power is to become a wizard um, in the military. And even then, you have a certain barrier that if you you cross that barrier, you could be killed. And an example of this in 3.5, so 3.5 edition of The Draw of the Underdark, Many become teachers, so many men become teachers of arcane magic or military strategy, attempting to form strong bonds with their students, particularly the females, who might well hold power in the next generation. Ew. Ew. No. Ew. Yeah. Very groomy, I thought, <laughs> that quote. It gave me... um. Ezra and Arya vibes from Pretty Little Liars <laughs> from the limited amount I've watched for that show, which glorifies that kind of relationship, but it, you shouldn't glorify any kind of relationship like that because there's a huge power dynamic there and it's it's just plain gross. So I love how they're just like, well, men can take power, but, you know, only by grooming women. I mean, because it's, it's, it's gr- like, I mean... It might be like, you know, mentor and mentee, but because... The women are evil and very sexual. It's 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 gross, and the and it's still the the men are picking the young. I, it's, it's weird. I don't like it. I don't know why. And this could very well be another detail that was added. Again, this is meant to be an evil society. It's meant to get these kind of reactions out of us. But even in like the small details, like when they're supposed to in my opinion, where some writers might be like, oh, this is why they think the way they do, or this is why they do the things they do, or here, here are little bouts of resistance. Th- they do mention that. We don't, we're not going to get too far into like the, the resistances that some drow express in matriarchal society just because we don't have time. We're just getting into the dark, nitty-gritty, evil parts of it for this episode. Like, they, really, you choose to focus on grooming as an example? I don't know. Icky is a good word for it. Icky is just a good word for draw society in general. Um, another way men are said to have power, also from the same guidebook I've talked about, um, 
some drow males attempt to seduce powerful females using lust and even the rare emotion of love to influence drow leaders behind the scenes. So lust, grooming. They also, men, also make up a, a lot of the active military and they run the merchant clans which is about as high as you can get. But I thought it was really interesting that men ran the merchant clan specifically because the reason that they give, and I forget which guidebook they say this in specifically, but the reason they run the merchant clans is because women, the women in society are, don't want to be put, don't want to put themselves in danger by going up to the surface to trade. They make the men do it, which that doesn't scream matriarchy to me, even evil matriarchy, because like what badass women who have a whole society that's based on them would be afraid of that? I mean, yes, everybody has fears, but it's so dangerous. Like being in the underdark is dangerous. You can get murdered for so many things. Like why? I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. Make it make sense. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that contradict each other. And it There are. I don't know if that's because there's multiple people who have fleshed out this society or or what the reason for that is, but it just it's just very contradicting in a way in certain things. Yeah. One of the last examples of that contradiction, because I'm sure there are more, but again, I had to cap my research out somewhere. But there is one more example of that that really goes to show there are a lot of contradictions, especially for the role of men in this society, because to me, it feels like all these contradictions are like, oh, well, men are just so oppressed. Let's just throw them a bone. Let's give them some a little amount of power because the people who are writing this just could not not do that. They couldn't just make them slaves. They couldn't just they had to give them bones to to gnaw on which might not be the best analogy, but in the lower class of drow society, which I didn't read too much on, but I did find this quote from 3.5, the males tend more towards physical labor and the females toward skilled crafts, not because females are weaker, but because they often have more opportunities to choose their own paths than males do. But this is only a tendency, not a societal constant. The way that's written... (laughs) is very, I'm just saying the word odd a lot, but it's very odd to me because it's like, oh, well, men lean towards physical labor and women towards, you know, crafts. Oh, but don't worry. It's not all like that. And it's not because females are weak. Don't worry, though. That's not what we're saying. Then why even say it? Why even put that in the lore if you're going to backtrack like two seconds after you say something? It's, It's the equivalent of saying it's not sexist, but... But, yeah, it's like a big but. And there are just so many instances of that. Those are just a handful of instances. But men's role in drow society, like women's role is pretty exact. Like it is they are priestesses. They have all the power, blah, blah, blah. But men have all of these different ways that, yeah, there are barriers and they could die. But they're like handing them all this stuff. Like, yeah, men are oppressed, but... Or, yeah, they tend more towards physical labor, but a lot of buts in the drow, a lot of of inconsistencies in in drow lore. But I think you also brought up a good point that it also might just be because a lot of authors have written drow lore and maybe they're just not aware. 
of like the lore that was written before or maybe there's just like a super small detail that like they just forgot when they were rewriting stuff or expanding on stuff that i think that's also important to keep in mind also important to keep in mind at i don't know what additions these are you said 3.5 mm-hmm. the player base is largely male yeah so if you have players who want to play a drow, they have to be able to play something. If they play a drow, they have to be able to do something. They You can't have a hero story with a weak guy in a matriarchy <laughs> who's being kicked over by any woman in the society because that's no fun for men. Even though that's exactly the, what a patriarchy is for women, but yes. Oh man, hold on to that. I have one more fact for you. Just one more. But I think I've covered the, the majority of the bases. Like men are trash. All, you know, but they have these little caveats, but they're mostly trash. But one more caveat, because I find it funny because you brought this up earlier about how matriarchies tend to have more sex than patriarchies or other forms of society. So there is a custom in drow society called the Day of Graduation. And it originated from Ari Salvatore's Dark Elf trilogy. And it goes a little something like this. A drow graduates from the Academy of City I Can't Pronounce, Menzoberenzan. So, so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Menzo Berea. Men, yeah, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And I just don't want to, I don't want to offend anybody by my pronunciation of that. Uh, you just, so during this graduation, the graduates take a shit ton of narcotics. The best female student is stripped naked and she invokes the name of a fiend and they, bang they say they presumably bang but there's evidence that they they bang so that's the relationship between drows and fiends that i mentioned earlier demons because there is a whole race of monsters quote unquote that come from the union of drow and fiends this is where those come from (laughs) and priestesses presiding over the ceremony select men to bang women and they can either do this as like a big orgy in the middle of this graduation ceremony or they could go off on their own but mostly they just all bang in a group so they select drow male drow to bang female Mm -hmm. drow students yeah so they will like pick a female student and be like hmm who do i want to bang her oh you you look of good breeding bang Mm. that kind of stuff yeah, it's great. I didn't realize the drow had a relationship with orgies, but they do, and it's freaking weird. Again, under the connotation of this is an evil race, they're just saying that orgies are evil, which is untrue. <laughs> Plus, they're just banging demons. Yeah, banging fiends. And then when you when you bring in the aspect that men can't refuse, I guess that's where the evil part comes in. Because when the draw priestesses match up the young female students and male students, like 
men can't say no. That's just a Cliff's Notes version of what drow society is like. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) It's a trip, and I have only skimmed the surface of what I have learned. A question, I suppose, for you, Lissa, is how do you think this compares with the definition of a matriarchy? Before I get into that, what just... Can I can I just vent? Yes, please. Oh my gosh, yeah. What about trans drow? What about gay drow? What about any other gender, asexual, demisexual, any other drow? What is don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> what? Just what? I'm Mhm. What was your question? (laughs) How does this version of a matriarchy compare with the definitions of matriarchy that you talked about earlier, do you think? It's the exact opposite. It's 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 a patriarchy, but you flip the gen genders. They're not you flip the sexes, I guess, because there are no genders in this scenario. Mm Mm-hmm. You yeah, you just flip it. It's women become it's the women of the patriarchy. And in a weird way there's certain elements of it's not really matriarchy, but it is animalist what was it? The animalistic thing that came before the matriarchy. Please hold while Lisa looks at her notes. <laughs> animalistic sexual promiscuity which is the first stage of the human social organization, and then also a patriarchy except with women. Because again, gender doesn't exist. And it's... It's, it's, it's fucked up. It's, it's, it's fucked up. It's what it is. That's... I mean, we can, we can save like our clothes... If you want, we could just save our closing thoughts for... Because this is basically... This is the end of my rant. This is the end of part three. And really all we have left to do is closing thoughts, a couple of self-plugs, you know. (laughs) But I just wanted your pure reaction to consuming all of that knowledge. And also knowing that it's just the surface. It's really the tip of the iceberg. Like there are so many other examples I could have used for things that I just, I had to cut for time. Maybe I didn't even spotlight the most important ones. I don't know. My brain is just a mush of drow lore now, but... I completely agree. I I don't think that even though they say this is a matriarchy, it just doesn't feel like one because there are all of these exceptions. There are all of these contradictions to the men and credit where credit is due. They do all of these facts do get a visceral reaction of like, oh, that's awful or that's evil or that's fucked up which is part of the point of making an evil society. But the fact that this is the only matriarchy that's like a society, if if you're playing a campaign in the Forgotten Realms and this is all your player characters, NPCs know about a matriarchy, operating under the assumption that you're not homebrewing anything, come on. That just... It speaks volumes, I think. And yeah, I, I have a I think most of my things can be summed up in my closing thoughts. But any any other 
visceral reactions before we we wrap up this episode and plug the next episode because don't you worry if you're leaving this episode unsatisfied <laughs> from like why aren't they diving deeper into drow lore or what about loth oh don't you worry we'll get there eventually <laughs> but this section alone i'm looking at our recording is like an hour long so <laughs> we needed to split this into two parts <laughs> for editing me's sanity and also both of our research sanities. So any other like last thoughts that you have, Lissa, before we wrap up and give our closing thoughts? I didn't know what drow were, but now I hate them. Thank you. <laughs> well, don't hate them. Well, I hate, I hate their origins. I, I hate, I hate okay, what they're about. That's ba- I, yeah. hate, sure. I hate how they're put together. I hate, ooh, so many things. <laughs> Can you please, cause just because the way that you started wording that, can you please write um, a poem in the style of the 10 things I hate about you poem? And just like, I hate the way you do this. And I hate the way you do this. I hate the way you do. Just be like Julia Stiles reading a poem to, um, oh my gosh, what is his name? Heath Ledger. Why did I think it was Hugh? Heath Ledger. I will do it. Read a poem. To your Heath Ledger, I want to I want to hear it. I want to see it. It will happen. Everybody, take a breather, collect your thoughts as we go into our closing thoughts. So after that monologue from Charday, thank you so much, Charday, for all of You're that. You're so welcome overwhelming amount of information about drow (laughs) i feel so enlightened by now and hopefully our audience do too (laughs) hopefully hopefully i didn't just like turn into background noise be like okay (laughs) is this bitch done yet like (laughs) we have finally reached our closing thoughts segment aka our conclusion to whatever the fuck this is from my part to to sum it up, I think my you've you've heard my um my opinions throughout this episode. I think I leave the listener with the following thoughts to sum all of this up, this shitfest of drow information. We can thank the white, probably rich, most likely powerful men. Read the victors of history, for painting women as evil, (laughs) to quote matriarchalstudies.com. Most of these old European sources were either puzzled or horrified by women-led cultures, having had nothing to attach them to but scary stories from Herodotus about the ferocious Amazons as menslayers, or the Christian theological depictions of sinful Eve resulting in the burning times, a.k.a. witch hunts. Oh my god, are are you comparing the depiction of drow to witch hunts? Because I love that analogy so much. Yeah. I Yes, I am. <laughs> Shots fired. That's amazing. And yeah, that's, that's, that's all I've got. It's, I think Sharday can sum it up. <laughs> I think Sharday can sum us up. I, we're on the same page. Otherwise. Summarizing everything and with everything that we said about the origins of the drow and their appearance and how 
portions of their matriarchy work. I just think it, in our opinion, I hope it's okay that I'm speaking for both of us. It's fucked up that the only matriarchy, this is the only matriarchal society in D&D. And it, it's fucked up that it's an evil matriarchy is the only one. And the only, the only fleshed out one, you mean? Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. The only fleshed out one and all the other, quote, matriarchal societies, which is a broad term for what I'm, you know, how this classification goes. They're all monsters, you know, and this has been a problem for a very long time. There have been a lot of problems with Drow that we are very much aware of that racial connotations, of course. From our angle, the matriarchal angle, it's fucked up that they haven't fixed it yet. Or that they haven't created a canonical matriarchal society, at least that I could find. I could be wrong. There could be a niche matriarchal society in D&D that I just don't know about from either the novels or what have you. But even if there is, it's hard to find. And Drow still hold the crown for being the like most well-known matriarchy in D&D. And that's, they're evil. They're not a good representation of matriarchies in general. And I think like Lissa said, it's just a patriarchy flipped over. And you could just, you can tell, in my opinion, you can tell, even if I didn't look up who wrote all of this lore, you can tell it was written by men. Because especially like the man-hating that goes on and the abuse and the low, low, low station of men, like in a matriarchy, men don't have to be subservient. Like they really don't have to be. Like Dr. Uh, Heidi, our queen, it's it's more egalitarian, right? Matriarchies can be egalitarian and they can still be evil. Like there can be evil men drow who can rise to the same station as women, but women just rule over the society. That can still be evil. Why is it so man-hating? You know? Like it doesn't have to be. I think it just says a lot that in this matriarchal society, this famous matriarchal society written by men that the men are just so shit on. It almost, it gives me the same vibes, it gives me the same vibes as people who have the opinion that all feminists hate men, like all feminists are man-hating people, and that's wrong, full stop, that's just wrong. Like, you don't have to hate men to be a feminist, in fact, most feminists are egalitarian, like they want, I don't know. It's yeah, especially intersectional feminism and not like there's a term for it, but like radical feminism. Not it's not radical feminism. What is the term? I can't remember, but <laughs> there is a to to toxic feminism, I guess, is what I mean. Yeah, I think people will know what you mean when you say toxic feminism or even radical feminism. It paints a very specific picture. And I think it's just so telling that the one matriarchal society, yeah, is evil, man-hating, and written by men. And to quote myself from two days ago when we did a run-through of this episode that Lissa wanted me to repeat because she thought it was important, the creators of the Drow Society have the subtlety of a serrated sharp knife yes. <laughs> when it comes to their views of a society run by women, the fact that this is so flushed out, so evil, and there's nothing that compares to it in terms of a matriarchy, like the light, quote unquote, light version of this, 
all the subtlety of a serrated sharp knife. I don't know if it's their opinions on matriarchies in general, of women in general, of women-led societies in general. I couldn't say. I don't want to put words in any of their mouths, but... And these opinions probably come from years and years and years of, as we say on every podcast, the patriarchal society that we live in that treats women like shit. (sighs) One of the, I didn't talk about it in my rant, but one of the main reasons why drow society is seen to have never truly been a threat to people above ground is because it's governed so poorly and there's too much infighting. So women, when they run a society, what they're essentially saying subconsciously, I think, is a society run by women in the D&D world stands no chance against the patriarchal norm because I don't think we need to argue or prove that Western society right now is patriarchal and it's the norm. Basically, so they're basically saying the evil drow women can't get their shit together to take over the entire material plane so they're just kind of hanging out in the dark doing their thing lovely before i get into the good things i do want to say all this drow research just makes me want to rewrite it and create a place in the campaigns that i run that either a make drow matriarchies a formidable force like any society run by women would be and i think if you have a lick of sense, you would know that that's true. If women ruled the world, they would get shit done, personally, in my opinion. (laughs) Just look at the coronavirus numbers. (laughs) Too political? Sorry. It was going to slip in eventually. Uh, (laughs) So I either want to do that or I want to make the drow matriarchy just a society and not necessarily good or evil, you know? Just Mm -hmm. have them be ruled by women and there's good drow and there's bad drow. And that actually is a good segue into the two good things I have to say (laughs) for this entire episode. The first I'll say is that Wizards of the Coast and other creators are trying to end the stigma of drow, both racially and matriarchally, for the racial connotations and the matriarchal connotations. They are trying to end it. And the most recent example is uh, Wizards of the Coast publishing Critical Role or Matt Mercer's Wild Mount setting as part of their official multiverse lore. It's not in the Forgotten Realms, technically, but it is published by Wizards of the Coast. And Matt Mercer has created a drow society that is matriarchal, but it's not inherently evil. And it's way more just like a regular society embroiled in war where there is no good and evil. There's only a gray area. And that's an improvement. But is it? I think. Is it patriarchal, matriarchal, matriarchal, or is it actually matriarchal, matriarchal, if you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. So I haven't read the entire book quite yet. I got it a while ago, but I haven't like fully read it. But I am familiar with the campaign that it came from. So campaign to a critical role from what I've watched. It seems like matriarchal, matriarchal, and not patriarchal, matriarchal. It is ruled over by a woman, uh, but I don't, but men are not treated like dirt. It's more egalitarian. Like men can still rise in station without being murdered. Okay. That's all I need to know. Okay. 
the other good thing I have to say is that I guess they succeeded in like Wizards of the Coast slash TSR slash Gary Gygax slash all the other contributors to draw lore succeeded in making an evil society that everyone hates or loves to hate. But at what cost? (laughs) Our sanity, definitely. (laughs) I don't know anything else to add. (laughs) Do you think of any other good things? It gave us a topic to talk about. That is, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's all I got. That's that's really all I have. That's fair, but that's about all we have for this episode anyway. So tune in for our next episode where we will continue talking about drow, but we're not sure what part of drow yet because there's a lot to unpack. I'm thinking it's probably going to have something to do with Loth. I mean, we haven't gotten nearly enough into her. We don't know yet. We'll figure it out. If you have any suggestions about any specific, like super specific parts of Drow that we mentioned in this episode or a detail that you noticed that I excluded from the Drow Matriarchy, please hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, email us. And that's also our social media plug. Just follow us on everything (laughs) if you want to keep up with us. It's a fun time, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Our sources are always available to you. As per usual, so you can fact check us and you can send us more sources. We will appreciate more sources. We love data. The links to our sources can be found on our social media profiles as well. Very easy to get to. And I'm trying to think of another. We still need more reviews on Apple Podcasts, y'all. Or any wherever you find podcasts, but specifically Apple Podcasts, because apparently Apple Podcasts doesn't even push out content unless you have like a I don't know what the bar is but unless you have a certain amount of reviews on our podcast so if you are listening to us on Apple podcast please just leave us a starred review or please leave us a written review I will put this forth again if the next person who leaves us a written review on Apple podcasts after the publication of this episode I will write you a poem in iambic pentameter that rhymes because I got lazy with the last one and the last one doesn't rhyme so I will torture myself and write a rhyming I am a pantameter poem that we will post to our social medias to the next Apple podcast reviewer. That's a slovenly promise. <laughs> Plus, I will be writing that poem myself, that one poem, the uh, the the 10 things I hate about you mm-hmm. poem. You'll be seeing that very, very soon. I'm so excited for that. That's about it from us this time for my drow episode. Uh, (laughs) thank you for listening we love your faces take us out Lissa we have been the Slovenly Charles podcast see you next month on some more drow facts hashtag fun times and remember the number one rule of D&D don't Don't be a a dick. dick Bye. Slovenly trolls, slovenly trolls, we're big, bad, evil girls. The Slovenly Trolls podcast is part of the Can't Be Killed Creations podcast network. Make sure to check us out at campykilledcreations.com.